The following podcast may be unsuitable for children or more sensitive listeners and may contain explicit language. You're listening to It's All True. I'm your host, Tim Barnes, and in each episode, I chat with a guest and ask him to reveal a newspaper-style headline for a funny personal true story. This is actually part one of my final live It's All True recording in Chicago. It was fun. Because guess what? On the stoop, don't nobody give a fuck where you went to school. <laughs> On the stoop, don't nobody give a fuck. It was intimate. And like the idea that locking folks up and taking them away from society is going to help them become better people is not realistic. It was weird. So I shake Chelsea Clinton's hand. And as I swivel around, I shit you not, there is a uh, journalist. Before I explain more, let's just listen to me introducing myself to the crowd. Uh, welcome to my party. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how you know I'm a comedian. I can't just invite people over without tickets being involved. I don't know how to be social in that way. Has anyone ever listened to the It's All True podcast before? Nice. Any newbies? That's cool, too. Here's really what's happening. I'm moving to New York in a week. Um, I moved to Chicago four and a half years ago from African America. Have you ever been to African America? It's a pretty great place. The show is also about headlines, because I love headlines. I think headlines are beautiful. So what happens is you're going to see these uh, amazing performers, some of my favorite people in Chicago right now. They're going to do their thing. Then I'm going to interview them for a little bit. And then I'm going to ask them to tell me a headline for a funny, personal, true story. And then we're just going to go through that story. We're going to get to know people. I've been trying to think about headlines of my own life. This is a headline. Um, I'm still trying to process it all, but this is something that happened to me. I guess the headline is, black man realizes he has white people problems, okay? That's an enticing headline, right? Yeah. So I visited my family in California a couple weeks ago. I get home. My dad uh, is uh, napping in the living room because he works uh, a night shift and he gets really tired when he gets back. Uh, I get home, he's really excited to see me, so he wakes up a little bit as I'm watching the Carmichael show. Watch, I don't know if you've seen the show, it's a really funny show. There's an episode called The Blues about depression, where the uh, mother in the show finds out that she has depression. Look, your feelings are valid, so open up, your, your family can handle it. Um, no. Actually, can't handle okay, it. Okay, no, nah, we can handle it. We're here. We're listening. Well, it's just so hard to explain, Gerard. I mean, like the other day, I, I stopped at Wendy's, and I knew Bobby's order because he always get that junior bacon and a frosty, and, and, and Gerard always says that he doesn't eat fast food, but he liked that crispy chicken, and Joe, he likes the double stack. Well, I usually just eat whatever they have left over, you know, but then I was at the window, and... And I I realized I didn't even know my own order without theirs. I'm a grown woman, and I don't know what I like at Wendy's. That's the saddest thing I ever heard in my life. My dad turns to me (laughs) 10 minutes in and says, "Uh, do you think you have depression? And I was like, yeah, maybe. I I feel like I might have... um, depression yeah 
And he goes, because you had a pediatrician who said uh, she thought you had depression. And we never did anything about it. And then... <laughs> and then he fell back asleep. So... I find out... <laughs> I find out I've been diagnosed with depression for 20 years and didn't know about it, but I think it's because I already got the black card. Now I got the depression card. It's great. It's a great combination for something I think I have, which is called the hazel eyes discount. I don't know if that... Um, so the hazel eyes combined with my black card <laughs> gets me discounts every now and then. Sometimes it's a free cheeseburger, sometimes it's a hug from a random old black woman. And then... The true power of it comes in when I put it, when I think about the depression card, which is, you know, that little teary-eyed thing. <laughs> you know, the Terrence Howard is what, thing is what gives it the little, the glisten that gets you the, gets you the, <laughs> the french fries with your burger, if that makes any sense. In this episode, you're going to hear conversations and stories with comedian Chris Trainey, storyteller Lily B., and musician Rick Wilson. Starting with Chris, I met him maybe a year back at an open mic. And a little while after that, I was a judge for a storytelling competition at a Chicago festival called Snubfest. One of the prizes was a chance to be on this podcast. So let's take a moment to listen to some of Chris Trainey's material on stage. I, uh, so I do speak Spanish. I learned Spanish because I used to volunteer in Juarez, Mexico. And um, some of you might be familiar with it. You might have saw the movie Sicario, so you have an idea. Like, for those of you who don't know, like, Juarez, like, it's a little infamous for, like, uh, unemployment, economic development. Like, it's like Cleveland when they don't have LeBron, you know? <laughs> there we go. Do we have, like, any Cleveland? Anyone here from Cleveland? Oh, yay, great. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, I am sorry. Because, like, Juarez is, like, a little bit nicer, you know. <laughs> no, but, like, I, I, I lived in Juarez, right? And I remember one night we went out drinking, like, with the boys. And they were all saying this saying that I never heard, like, no mames, way, no mames. And, like, I had no idea what that meant. And I heard, like, no mames. Like, I thought it meant, like, no mothers, you know? So I'd do a shower with them. I'm like, yeah, we don't have our mothers. Like, yeah, like, that's, like, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Because in the morning, I went to go do site inspections with a nun. And the nun says, Chris, we're going to go to an orphanage. And I go, oh, yeah? No mames. And she just looked at me like, oh, my God. And then later, like, at the orphanage, like, I scooped up, like, a little orphan, you know? And I like, was, like, bopping him. You know you do with, like, a little kid, you know? And he opened up to me. He's like, Chris, no tengo una madre. And I was like, oh, no mames, you know? Because, like, I didn't know. Like, all the volunteers were like, oh, boy, you know? Because it turns out that no mames in Mexican slang means no shit. <laughs> Yeah. Like, let's relive that day. A nun was like, Chris, we're going to go to an orphanage. And I was like, no shit, you know? And, like, an orphan was like, hey, I don't have a mother. And I was like, no shit, you know? Like, <laughs> like this is, like, my life. Like, I used to teach English in Spain. Like, and I'd just stand there in the corner, and I'd say, like, voy a coger un taxi, 
which is Spanish for like, I gotta catch a taxi, or I'd say, tengo que coger el bus, which is Spanish for like, I gotta catch the bus. Which, guys, in Madrid, Spain, that's like perfectly good crisp Spanish, right? Right. But see, then I moved to Guatemala, and I would say like, voy a coger un taxi, and like, people would laugh at me. And I'd say like, tengo que coger el bus, and like, more people laughed at me. So, like, when I went to leave Guatemala, like, I pulled my friend Dion aside, and I was, like, angry. I was, like, why is it that every time I went to freaking cohere something in this country, like, people are mad at me and laughing at me? And it turns out that cohere in Guatemalan Spanish means to hit that shit raw. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'd spend, like, a year, like, trying to fuck their public transit, you know? I was like, Deanna, like, why didn't you tell anyone? She's like, it just got too funny, you know? Like, <laughs> she's like, Chris, like, you would get drunk and be like, I gotta go fuck a taxi, you know? Like, apparently, like, all her girlfriends would wait till I'd leave a party because I'd be putting on my coat and I'd just be like, well, I'm gonna go fuck a bus. Like, are you, what, what are we doing? Like, and they loved it, you know? Behind my back, they called me El Chico Kekohe Mufflers. Like the boy who bangs mufflers? Yeah. Like if you think about it, that's like the Chicago equivalent of like a Guatemalan being here and he's like, I gotta go bang the brown line. You'd be like, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Like you wouldn't tell that guy. So what is Snubfest? Oh, um, Snubfest is a comedy festival here in Chicago that if you've applied to another comedy festival, been denied, been snubbed, you can apply to it and perform here. It's sort of like uh, the fest for the rest, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so you won that show. You told an amazing story. Thank you. The consolation prize is that you get to be a guest on this very podcast yep. that you're yep. confused by. Yep. Um, <laughs> where supposedly. And then after that, like story. I kept, I kept. I'm a busy man. Yeah. I'm a busy guy. Yeah. I kept not. I won a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> I won a year ago. Okay. <laughs> And then I keep seeing you around Andersonville, and every time yeah. it was it was it was like a curb your enthusiasm moment, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. you know, I could tell, I could see through your eyes. I knew what you were thinking. Right. You knew that I knew. Right. And I was like, he looks so much like Larry Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. uh, you were talking to me about something outside before we came in. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is real. This is real life. It is yeah. all true. Yeah. 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 Backstage comes to the stage, sure. you know? Right. You were talking about the fact that you feel like you are sort of an, uh, a hustler in the open mic scene in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, for obviously all of you who don't know who I am, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm what's called uh, an open micer, uh, a grinder. I'm straight, but I'm a grinder. And uh, <laughs> it's like you are, you're out every night. Every single night of the week, going to a bar, just like this one, you put your name on a list and you wait hours, and then you get up there and you get to do four minutes of stand-up comedy. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it goes awful. Yeah, (laughs) But either way, it doesn't matter to anyone in the room. That's the crazy part. Yeah, that is the crazy thing. (laughs) But yet you'll go home and not sleep, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, I hate whoever told me I was funny. I just, I hate that person so much. <laughs> but how, do you, how long have you been in Chicago now? Where'd you come from? 
Yeah, um, I've been in Chicago four years, and I've been doing stand-up comedy for two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember I met you at an at an open mic at the uh, at I/O. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 You're very funny. <laughs> Thank you. That was one yeah. of those nights where it went really well for him, and I didn't sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand you have a story you want to tell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is there? Do you have a headline for the story? Yeah, I uh, I was thinking about it. It's I I would call this story uh, my fifteen minutes of shame. That's okay. what I'm calling it. My fifteen minutes of shame. Here's the deal. It's May of two thousand and eight, and I like to tell people that the circus is in town. And what I mean by the circus is the 2008 Democratic primary between Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Uh, when Senator Clinton uh, or, or President Clinton asserts that uh, I said that uh, the Republicans had had better economic policies since 1980, that is not the case. It is sometimes difficult to understand what Senator Obama has said because as soon as he is confronted on it, he says that's not what he meant. Okay. Yeah, and it's like there are down on the square, because Indianapolis is like a town. <laughs> but it's like, it's like there's a CNN sat truck, and there's helicopters, and the media has descended upon it. And it's just, I mean, it's mayhem, and it's the election day. And, like, I'm sure you guys remember, but, like, that was a runoff election. The Republicans had already sewn it up. They already knew McCain was going to do it. But then, like, we had this Obama-Hillary runoff. And yeah, it got went as far on forever. As, yeah, went on yeah. forever. It got as far so as So can Indiana. you tell me who you were leaning towards at this point in your I life? I can. Okay. I, was, uh, I was Team Obama. Si se puede. Muchas gracias. So here's the deal. Like, <laughs> it is a runoff election. And I don't know if you guys remember, but... Uh, Hillary Clinton won the state of Indiana in what's called a squeaker. She, I do not know what that is. That sounds sexual in some way. Basically, she won with like less than 1% of the vote. Like it was ah. insanely tight. And I. I'd like to think I did that on purpose. <laughs> so, Hillary wins. And I am dejected because I canvassed, I phone banked, I knocked on doors, I donated, I did it all, right? And I was driving home, and as I'm driving home, I realize, like, on the right-hand side is Hillary Clinton's uh, victory party in the Marat Theater. And, like, I don't know what came over me, but I was like, you know, they're Democrats, I'm a Democrat. Like, <laughs> like, we're all in this together, yeah. right? So I go in, and I go through security, and I just start getting nervous, because, like, there's Terry McAuliffe, who ran Hillary Clinton's campaign. He's on his cell phone, and, like, he's looking at me... <laughs> And I'm looking at him, and I just, I start suffering from imposter syndrome. Like, do you have that? Oh, I have it all the time. Perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, basically, like, I just start, I think they're going to out me. 
Like I just somehow you think, think they can smell the Obama on you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. An Obama Musk. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the Obama scent, you know. <laughs> and um, so I start wigging out, thinking that they're gonna be like, "You boy, like get out of here," you know, because it's the 1920s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's how most people in Hillary's camp talks, so that's about right. Yeah, yeah that's a very establishment impersonation. <laughs> I scurry upstairs to the, uh, the, the, the reception hall, and I open up the doors, and there's like a gust of air hits me because Hillary's given that speech that they give because she just won, you know? And then we're going to win Ohio. And then we're going to... All the way to 1600 Pennsylvania. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm in the belly of the... I felt like I was in Mordor, you know? (laughs) And, like, she gets off stage and leaves. And I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, everyone ran up to, like, the security rail, you know? And they just... Like, you just intuitively, like, you go up to, like, see what's going on. And it is... It's not Hillary, but it's Chelsea Clinton, you know? And she's like shaking hands, like doing this, you know. And I—that's the weirdest shaking hand gesture I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> she, it's like crab claws. She's like a duck. Um, but I remember—I'll never forget this. As she's drawing close, like I remember she's shaking hands, and she's like, "Oh, thank you so much. Like we couldn't have done this without you." And I just remember thinking, like, "You did <laughs> absolutely. You did this without me," you know. And so I shake Chelsea Clinton's hand. And as I swivel around, I shit you not, there is a uh, journalist and her cameraman. And they're like, excuse me, you, sir, but as a Hillary Clinton supporter, would you like to be interviewed for the news? (laughs) And I was like, fuck it. You know, like, yeah. Like, let's do this. (laughs) So they get ready to interview. And you say your name. Like, if you're on news, you spell it C-H-R-I-S-T, Indianapolis, Indiana, da-da-da. We're doing the interview, and she goes, no... Uh, tell me, like, uh, why did you vote for Hillary Clinton? And I just looked at her. And I was like, actually, I didn't. (laughs) And she's like, oh, like, you were so busy canvassing for her today that you didn't have time to vote. And I was like, no, I voted. (laughs) But, like, for the other guy, like, for Obama, you know? And I swear to God, this is true. The cameraman was like, like they're like looking at each other, like what? Like, <laughs> and they go, well, this is the Hillary Clinton celebration. We're like, what? What are you doing here? And I thought it would be funny to be like, well, I heard the circus was in town, and I just came to see it. <laughs> well, anyway, uh-huh. in the morning, I'm like getting ready for work, and I'm having cereal in my kitchen. And on the news, there's this report that goes, Barack Obama supporter attends the Hillary Clinton rally. (laughs) There's like six of us, you know? And I got to admit, like, you know how in a news segment it goes into a montage? And it's like, the guys were pretty articulate. They're like, well, at the end of the day, we're all Democrats. And another guy's like, well, I just wanted to see what she was all about. Like, and then I pop up. And I'm like, I heard the circus was in town. (laughs) (laughs) Cue the Kirby enthusiasm music, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's... (laughs) That's... That's my 15 minutes of shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least you didn't lose your scruples. You know what I mean? Okay. I don't know know what I mean. (laughs) Hey, give it up for Chris Trainy. Thank you. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad he mentioned Mordor in his story because I happen to be a uh, a very big Lord of the Rings fan. I don't know if you know this, but it began with the forging of the great rings. Um, three were given to the elves, immortal, wisest, and fairest of all beings. Seven to the dwarf lords, great miners and craftsmen of the mountain halls. And nine, nine rings were gifted to the race of men who above all else desire power. For within these rings was bound the strength and will to govern each race. But they were all of them deceived. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the dark lord Sauron forged in secret a master ring to control all others. And he poured into it his cruelty, his malice, and his will to dominate all life. One ring to rule them all. One by one, the remaining lands of Middle-earth fell. Okay, we get it. Okay. Up next, we talk to 21-year-old rapper and prison abolitionist Rick Wilson. Rick has a new EP called Soul Bounce coming out and is a wonderful example of the vibrant, socially aware music scene in Chicago. Having fun? I, I don't know. I'm having a good time. Uh, I forgot you guys were here. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> I always do that shit. Uh, hey, what's up? I'm Rick. Um, I'm a rap for you guys. Is that cool? All right, all right, hold on, wait, 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 before I start. <laughs> Everybody say, thank God for my mother. Thank God for my brother. Thank God for my cousins. And thank God for my lovers. Okay, cool. <laughs> if you want to stand up, you can. Uh, we live in a world where we gotta say Black Lives Matter And then in return they be telling us Dog Lives Matter Thought we was human, want me to rap and be stupid Want me to act like I'm Lisa and family reunion Keep putting trust in your cupid I made an oath to myself, speak the truth and it's lucid Even when it leave me broke Rather be real to my cousins than you be a joke My nigga Rico got out My nigga raising his daughter, I do this shit for People who never get out People who never get hurt cause they don't get the clout City don't want us to sprout Scared of us swinging but really ain't bothered by shouts Ah! Don't call my city Chirac if you never had tips from the violence Don't call creative shit whack if you live in the box and they tried it Only two things that can scare me, I got and it's mother nature Used to be scared of opinions, but fuck it, they hate you, they hate you, hate you, they hate you I'm doing fine, people that had me in blind Calling me up and I act like a nigga gone blind Now that I got peace of mind, this is a note to my granny who told me I shine Even when I miss the signs, this is creation of heralds and mics that were open When niggas were free and they mind uh, Shit, gotta thank God for my mother, gotta thank God for my brothers Gotta thank God for my cousins, and thank God for my lovers Gotta thank God for my mother, gotta thank God for my brothers Gotta thank God for my cousins and thank God for my lovers And I'm wondering if you're listening To a lost soul like mine 
to a lost soul like mine, and I'm wondering if you're listening to a lost soul like mine. To a lost soul like mine. Thank God for my mother. Thank God for my brothers. Thank God for my cousins. And thank God for my lovers. Thank God for my mother. Thank God for my brothers. Thank God for my cousins. Thank God for my lovers. You're pretty young. You're only you just turned 21, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how long ago did you decide to become uh, a rapper? I feel like it's it's a uh, it's almost like I would be way more afraid to become a not that I think I'm a rapper, but to become a rapper than a comedian. Well, I grew up in the open mic scene, so I mean, I've just been doing music for a long time. So I, mm. I started getting money off rap when I was like 19. So wow. So it's yeah, yeah. So it's my profession now. So. I feel like, do you ever, uh, when you talk to, old, when you tell older people that you're a rapper, do you feel like they imagine this sort of negative energy about the music that you do right off the bat? Yeah, when I, um, when I talk to old people, so I don't just do music, I, yeah. uh, I organize. Well, I used to be like super like hardcore organizing, like political organizing, like against like police brutality and all uh, that shit. Yeah. So um, I would tell old people that when I go to the barbershop. <laughs> And then they'd be like, oh, okay, so you make money off that? They're like, no, but I make money off rapping. Uh. And then he'd be like, so you're a rapper? And I'm like, yeah. Then niggas is always like, oh, I want to hear you rap. So I was like, okay. Uh. So then, but they really don't want to hear you rap. They just want to judge you. They just want to judge yeah. me. So what I notice is if I perform, like if I like do a performance for like somebody random as hell and have them clapping along, they forget everything you said. And they're like, oh, this motherfucker can, he can rap. <laughs> That's funny, because I feel like the worst situation for me to be in personally, I've been in this situation a couple of times, you're at a party, someone, someone tells you they can rap, I don't ask them to start rapping. <laughs> and then they start rapping. <laughs> do you ever do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, like, every time someone's like, like, you go to like a session, like somebody's like smoking, and like you see them smoking weed, and they're like, "Oh, we rapping," and then they're like, "Oh, you the rapper?" I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Really, yeah." Hey, how's this for a transition? How do you feel about prisons? Uh, I don't like prisons. <laughs> I don't believe in prisons. Yeah. What does it mean to be a prison a- abolitionist? I mean, it's just I mean to be a prison abolitionist is uh just like being like a slave abolitionist back in the day. Like prison and the cultures that prison brings does not help our society whatsoever. The idea that locking folks up and taking them away from society is going to help them become better people is not realistic. And all type of statistics show that all the time. But so say I do some harm to you. Mm. Um, That's a good way to put it too. Yeah, I do yeah. some harm to you. Huh. You don't decide like you like we nothing ever happens for me to help you heal with the harm I did to you. Instead, our system th- like throws me away, and you have this harm that you had, like this harm that I did to you, and you're living with this. And something's probably gonna happen that you're gonna do the same shit that I probably fucking did to you, and go to prison. It just keeps going on and on. It's a cycle. We're not trying to heal people. We just want to throw people away. You have a funny true story you want to tell? What would the headline be if the if the reader picked up that story? The reader did pick up that. They story. They picked up that yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't never get in the reader, but I get in the reader when I get robbed. And they say Rick will, uh, stole the materials from an aspiring, like aspiring, like artist. So like I was like recording, like 
came. I was like recording some shit. I didn't bring my Mac, which is weird. I come back out to my car and someone broke into my car. My first thought was to find the person and get it back from them any way possible. You know what I mean? But then I realized that I'm probably not going to find this person. So then I just did a GoFundMe to get a new one. Because I wasn't going to tell the police. The police aren't going to go find that person. What the police were going to do is they're probably, I'm going to tell them a description of what I think he probably looks like or what they think he looks like Mm. and harass every black person they see in Lincoln Park (laughs) for the next five days. You know what I mean? Because they're going to look at me and think I'm a student. You know what I mean? They're like, they're robbing students' cars. You know what I mean? So... And I did that, and I got the money back in like a day. I got a thousand, like two hundred dollars. That's amazing. Day, so. Yeah. So one yeah. thing funny okay. about that story is I got the video because it was right in front of a DePaul building, and like <laughs> the dude was like breaking into my car like at, like seven o'clock during the day on Saturday, and all these like white people are just like walking by him. He's black. All these white people are just walking by him, and they're just like looking at him, and they aren't saying anything. They're talking to each other, but they aren't saying nothing. And he breaks into the car. Uh, he's, like, in the car for, like, 15 minutes. So then, like, I realized, I'm like, why was he in the car that long? So I go check my car, like, again. And I found out that he took, like, one of my shirts. He took his size, the only uh-huh. 2XL I had. <laughs> <laughs> one of my Rick Wilson shirts. So yeah. if you see somebody with a Rick Wilson shirt. Well, at least you get some promotion out of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was the craziest shit ever. I was like, what? <laughs> You'll hear more of the Chicago Farewell Show in next week's episode. But to cap things off, this next guest is someone who's actually been on one of the earliest It's All True episodes, back when it was recorded in a dingy Logan Square basement. When I first moved to Chicago, I was confused as to what I wanted to do. For a while, I started hanging out with a lot of storytellers. I never got a vibe for how the storytelling scene worked, but of all the storytellers I met, Lily was the realist. Okay, so my origin story. I found myself strapped to a hospital bed in 2010 because I was on my way to Chicago Reed Mental Institution for a supposed suicide. But let me clear that shit up. All right, so, and long story short, because that's a story for another fucking day, y'all. Real talk, that is. But long story short, this little Jewish graffiti writer or artist that I let move into my house took $3,000 from me, and I told him, we gonna go get my fucking money, and in some, like, I don't want to help you, uh, I accidentally cut my wrist, and because he said, my roommate cut her wrist, and not my roommate accidentally cut her wrist, um, I had to stay, I, I had to be shipped away for seven days. So, like, I wasn't suicidal, I was homicidal, and so... <laughs> Big fucking difference, right? So I find myself in this hospital getting ready to get shipped out, and I'm completely catatonic. Like, I don't want to talk to nobody. I get into the hospital, and, and I don't say anything. They, like, try to take my name. I'm just like, okay, if that's what you, if that's what you want to name me. And so they didn't take my real name because I didn't have my ID when they took me, and they put me in my room. It's, like, 2 o'clock in the morning now. And they put me in a room with three other women, and there's two women uh, that are awake when they put me in. And so I just, like, lay in my bed, and I close my eye. Uh, one eye, because I don't know where the fuck I am. And, and I'm watching what's happening, because they're awake. And one is telling the other one, like, okay, everyone is asleep. All right. And they start, like, wiggling under their blankets and, like, taking off 
they're like, because you get uh, jogging pants and like a t-shirt, and they take their jogging pants off and their t-shirt, like, and they start throwing it in the center of the room, because it's four beds, right? And I'm looking, like, what the fuck are these bitches doing? Like, what the fuck? And then one says to the other, like the leader, I think, she's like, uh, all right, now get under the blankets and wrap it under you, and uh, this will keep the demons out. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not crazy. These bitches are crazy. Like, this is, that's crazy right there. I'm like, I'm cool, I'm cool. So I went to sleep, so I went to sleep. And so I'm sleeping, I get up, and, uh, and I make it through the day, and, like, I become, like, top shit at the mental ward. Because, again, I'm the most sane bitch in there. I know it. And I'm also, I'm also the craziest, because, obviously, I was ready to kill a motherfucker. So, like, don't fuck with me. And so I become, like, Debo in jail. Uh, like, I become that bitch. I'm just like, give me some fucking coloring books. And, like, and people were, and people were, do- people were doing it. People are doing it, and like I, I get a crew going, and it's four of us that sit at a table every day and color and do mazes, which, by the way, a stack of mazes about 12 inches high, the same fucking maze. How fucked, like, y'all ain't getting out of here, bitches. Like, it's, it's like, it's fucking sad, right? So I started turning these mazes into, like, flowers, and then I became, like, the most popular person in the mental ward, um, which is the shit, y'all, because it ain't easy to become the most popular person in the mental ward. <laughs> So, like, I'm making flower things for people, and, and I, I, my crew, we call ourselves the Looney Tunes, and, um, and I'm Babs, we got Taz, we got Bugs, and we got Elmer Fudd, and we're all like, and, and we become friends, and, like, and for seven days, I'm there, in and out, uh, of, like, group and, like, therapy and whatever, and then it's time for me to go, and, like, everyone gets sad, and I go to leave, and they're, like, signing, I'm signing myself out, and I turn around, and there's, like, a room full of, like, all, like y'all. Like, and y'all crazy. So all y'all, right? Come, and they, like, go to, like, hug me. And, like, I'm hugging every single last crazy person that I drew a little flower that I turned a maze into a flower for. And they're just like, we're going to miss you. And some of them are my friends on Facebook. And so, like, <laughs> real talk. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I leave, and then my, my counselor, Rex, he's just like, you know, we don't allow contact and I was like well sorry and he's like no man there was way too many of them and so like I'm just like right way too many of them we were about to piss off a whole fucking ward so I was like cool and so I leave and I get out of jail I get out of jail well it was like jail I get out of the mental ward and like I start hearing the story that is being told about me which is that I was so in love with this graffiti artist that I couldn't take it that I slit my wrist and I got mad I got so mad that I became depressed because I'm like there's no story that I could tell about this bitch getting like three thousand dollars stolen from me that anyone would believe they all believed that I was so in love and that and so I was like fuck I went into depression for like two months this happened February 2010, and then in May, one of my girlfriends was like, bitch, you need to get the fuck out the house, and if you don't get out the fuck out the house, I'm going to go drag you, and I'm like, what? I don't want to do anything. She's like, who gives a fuck what people think? Just go, to, just come with me to this show. My, my friend from grade school and high school hosts it. You should come, to, come, and I was like, I thought about it, and I knew this bitch would come to my house, kick the fucking door down, and take me out my fucking house, so I was like, I, I want my security deposit back, so I was like, all right, fine, so I was like, So I went, and I go, and I stand, and it's grown folk stories in the silver room, and I stand in the, I'm just watching, because she had already been there. I told her I'd meet her there. And she, the the host gets up, and she's, like, pulling, like, the third or fourth person of the night, and then she's like, Lily. And I'm looking around like, oh, there's another Lily in the room. And from a... (laughs) 
And from across the room, my friend's like, nah, bitch, that's you. That's you. And I'm like, the fuck you call me for? And for like two minutes, I'm just like, bitch, why you call me? I didn't say I was going to say nothing. She's like, just go tell the story. And, I, and so then the, the host was like, well, I got a show. Y'all need to like decide. And look, let me tell you something. You got five minutes. And no one's going to judge you here. And this is family. And I guess at that moment... I needed to hear that because all my family had been like, fuck you, you're crazy, and all my friends too, and I felt judged. So to hear those words, I was like, fuck it. So I got on the mic, and I told the story which about my son putting cash in a girl's book bag in eighth grade. Um, <laughs> I told that story, and guess what? I got off the stage, and everybody was like, Bitch, that was the shit. Oh, my God, my son, you can't believe it. And like they, they're just t- connecting with me. They're telling me about, like, their fucking crazy kids and their crazy fucking childhood and how, like, the girl's in love with my son and, like, what well, anything. And so I connected with these people, and I was hooked. And I went month after fucking month after fucking month for almost three fucking years straight. And then people started finding me. People came to find me. They came to, like, hey, we heard you were telling stories, and they started booking me in shows. And before you knew it, the rest is fucking history. Here I am, right? Here the fuck I am. I have my show. I've won some competitions. And like, when I tell you guys that storytelling saved my life, it ain't like, oh my God, that Sunday saved my life. Or oh my God. Like, no, storytelling saved my motherfucking life. And so this ain't like performing to me. This is me paying that shit back. Because like anyone who would save my fucking life, I'd be indebted to them forever forever so this ain't about fame and this ain't about fucking fortune to me this is about saving fucking lives like me thank you so when i moved to chicago i was trying to figure a bunch of stuff out i I used to volunteer at like uh the public radio station and stuff like that and i think that's when i kind of entered the storytelling scene a little bit like i got a cursory view of what it's like to be a storyteller um it seemed like it was this sort of birth of a of a of a really close knit scene at the time was was that be how you would describe it? I don't even know what the scene was like at the time, right? Like I didn't yeah. know it was a scene. Like I was just like, okay, y'all want to hear some crazy shit? I'll tell it. You know, <laughs> that's how I saw it. Like I didn't know I was not. I'm not an artist, y'all. I don't even to this day. I'm just like these dumbasses think I'm an artist. Uh, <laughs> like that's how I feel because I'm just a woman who knows how to fucking talk. That's it. And mm. so I didn't know like it was a scene, but it did yeah. seem like it was very like people. Everybody fucking knew everybody. And that's and I was like and then I just became part of that. A big difference between the little I knew then and the little I know now is that you're teaching students at the Second City you how to that? tell stories. You believe that shit? <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I come to class every day like don't write shit, just talk. <laughs> but I liked what you said. It's the power of storytelling. I think is through telling the story you learned how to own this part of your life. Is oh, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. Once you own it, can't nobody... Like, the dude that in that story who went around telling everybody that I was in love with him, I seen that bitch on the street. Like, he walked, he walked right past me, and he saw me coming, and he was like, oh, shit, and crossed the fucking street. Like, I was a pit bull, y'all. Like, I was a fucking pit bull. <laughs> and when he walked past on the other side, I'm like, that's right, bitch, and then just kept walking. <laughs> like, I didn't see you cross the street. So, yeah. yeah so. Is there something you've learned about storytelling from teaching, though? Are there certain ideas that people have of it? Yeah, I think people people think it's got to be this fucking poetic, fucking romanticized bullshit. Like, I just, I think, (laughs) really, like, you know, your life ain't that fucking woo, right? It's just like, it's just, it ain't. Uh, Like, anybody who's like, anybody who's like, my life could be a book, I'm like, bitch, please. Um, 
that's how I feel. Like, what I've learned is that, like, people try so hard not to be them when they tell stories. They try to, like, make themselves something else. And what I've learned is that I, like, stop that. Like, I've learned, like, to make people stop that. In my class, I'm just like, look, be you. Be you. Don't tell me that it was so hot. Just tell me it was fucking hot. (laughs) Don't describe how hot it was. Just say it was hot. I ain't reading this. I ain't watching this on a fucking screen. Just tell me. Because to me, it's like, that's not you. That's not you. That's not how you tell your mom when you walk in the door. Like, you go in the door and you're like, damn, it is so hot. You don't go and like, the sun was beaming so hard that it like, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> this is just your real life, what you it's do as a storyteller. Yeah. That's the part that always confuses me a little bit is how the, uh, almost the career aspect of, of telling your story, you know? Is that, is that, I mean, as a comedian, it's even weird in that sense, too. The career part of doing comedy is a little jarring in a certain way, but it seems more personal when it comes to oh, telling, yeah. you know, like, these intense parts of your I life. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's, I can't believe that my, like, people have paid me to talk about, like, my titty popping out. And, like, you know, like, people pay me to fucking do these stories. I'm just like, yeah. okay, but, So is there anything you want to reach to? Are you, are you, you feel totally content with Dude, where you are my, now? my, like, life dream is to go, like, to Costa Rica and live in a treehouse. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be a... I'm not trying to be a career storyteller. I don't yeah. want my life to be a fucking movie. I don't give a shit about that. Uh-huh. What, what I want to leave Chicago with is, like... 500 more fucking brown storytellers on the scene. How about that? How about more brown fucking people telling stories? That's it. And if that's and if 500 brown people from Chicago, by the way, I love all you transplants, but where, <laughs> how the fuck we got 120 fucking seven shows and, and I never hear a Chicago story. I never hear a story about fucking Cabrini Green. I never hear a story about like the projects. All fucking stories about like, I went to school in Michigan. I had a farm in <laughs> Iowa. Like, where the fuck is Chicago? Yeah. You know? So like my goal when I leave this bitch is because uh, <laughs> Chicago's a bitch y'all um, <laughs> I love it but man bitch um, is to like have is to have 500 people brown mm. preferably uh, born and raised Chicago to get up there and start hitting these fucking storytelling yeah shows. and it has to be difficult because this is such a transient city in a way that people kind of go here to figure things out we out here then, yeah. we out Inglewood ain't no transplants yeah. in Inglewood ain't no transplants <laughs> Chatham, like, you know, like, Hermosa, ain't no trans, Austin, ain't no transplants in Austin, get the fuck out, we out here, it's three million of us here, (laughs) fuck you mean, like, (laughs) come on. Talk to me about The Stoop, your storytelling show. Oh, man, so... So uh, three years ago, Monty Lamonti, who's not here anymore, he's in, you know, Monty. Yeah, he's in he's California. In, yeah, he's yeah. in California. He, uh, I, I, I called him and I was just like, man, you know, ain't enough open mics. Like, there's a lot of featured shows, but there ain't enough open mics. And his advice was just like, start your own show. And I was like, Monty, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I ain't never hosted a show. I'm not a performer. He's like, Lily, you hot shit right now. You think people won't come to your fucking show? And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, I don't. I'm brown. Like, what the fuck? Ain't nobody. Uh, and so he was just like, just do it. And right there on the phone, he was just like, start the show. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to call it. 
And I had been doing like a radio thing at this huh. like uh, called Stoop Style Stories, and that's what the show started at was Stoop Style Stories because the way I tell stories is where I learned to tell, st- where I believe I learned to tell stories, which is on my fucking front stoop with all my little fucking you know hood rat ass friends. <laughs> um, I mean, we did. We just sat there. We were just like, oh, did you hear this bitch? Or what about? Yeah. And we tell stories about ourselves, and then my mom and my grandma and my grandpa just like we all sitting around the table eating tamales and fucking talking shit and telling <laughs> stories. And our stories are really just like we roast and each other like oh yeah well don't talk shit because what about that time i caught you pissing off the fucking blah, right <laughs> and it's like and so they tell a story so that's where i learned my storytelling style like i don't ha- i don't write shit down i'm oh. not a writer it's just all from up here i know my fucking life i don't gotta write it um <laughs> i know what happened and so like that's the show the stoop is that feel like we want to show you chicago we want to show me and my co-host clarence we just we talk shit to each other. We've made the audience hella uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's not about credits. No, yeah. no I don't. I don't introduce people. Yeah. We introduce you how we know you. So we don't fucking. We don't give a fuck where you went to school or where you work. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> if I know you, I will stalk your Facebook page and I'll be like, oh, she got a cute little dog. Uh, you know, I just. That's how we introduce. Because guess what? On the stoop, don't nobody give a fuck where you went to school. <laughs> On the stoop, don't nobody give a fuck. They're just like, who that is? Who that is? And I'm just like, oh, that's you know my friend with the dog down the street. And they're just like, uh-huh. oh, okay, he cool. Uh, so like yeah. nobody nobody give a fuck. So that's how we do it, and we have three features or four, and then uh, an open mic before that, and we just it's just a curmudgeon and a fucking shit talker, and we uh. just talk shit, and and, the, and we have a good time, but we share stories on a theme like a hood theme. Like the next show is next Thursday, and the theme is. Uh, got game, you know, because that was like a hood. Like, you, you think you got some game? Ah, oh, this bitch got game. So we, so we take like a what I call like a stoop theme. It could be like, you know, didn't have to use my AK, uh. Uh, you know, <laughs> and fucking tripping and just like, because the idea is that we don't all have to talk the same. We don't all have to use the same vernacular, but we live that shit. Like, you don't have to say tripping in your life to have had a tripping fucking moment. You don't have to have like a. You don't have to. You don't. You don't have to say like. You don't have to be like I'm down to be to have a. I'm down moment you know so that's what I'm trying to show people is I like you ain't gotta be from the fucking stoop to have lived a stoop fucking life and that's and you know and that's what I do that's my shit (laughs) right. (laughs) so you have a a funny true story that you want to tell yes and I know you've been brewing about the headline yeah I'm gonna do it like BuzzFeed style right like we're just like or like are they gonna be gifs or like clickbait style sorry clickbait I'll gif if you want (laughs) Uh, so like Uh, so, uh, so it's just like, you will never believe how this woman's allergy damn near killed her. Okay. okay. How long ago was this? 2010. So right before I went to the mental ward and I just moved in this graffiti artist that I talked about and he didn't have a job, but he had promised he'd get one and that he was going to help me on the rent. And I kind of overlooked it because I I had my shit together so I could pay this little 650 rent in Logan Square, which... Not no more. But like, <laughs> uh, but I could play this. I could pay this little rent, so I'm paying that fucking rent. And I'm like, he'll he'll get it. And the, and the payoff was that he was like five years younger than me. And not that he was attractive, but he had a a lot of cute ass like young ass graffiti friends. A lot okay. of them. And I'm I'm like I'm like a self proclaimed cougar. Like it's it's like half my age plus seven minimum. <laughs> like minimum. And maximum, like, 30. Like, I'm 38, y'all. I ain't trying to fuck with nothing over 38. When you hear your mama calling, your mama wants you back. Can you hear your mama crying? You're the best thing she ever had. What I say. 
so like so so it was perfect for me it was perfect so they're like 24 at the time i was 30 um so like they're like 24 25 and they're perfect but like i have a rule which is like if you can't kiss like if i can't trust you with these lips right these lips mm. i can't trust i ain't trusting you with these right <laughs> so it, it's only a matter of time before his friends are like Hey yo, what's up with your roommate? Is what's up? Because I'll tell you one thing: white boys love them some titties. So I was like, they do. Believe really? it or not, yeah, yeah, like that's another BuzzFeed article. Yeah, that's yeah. Another, right. They do. <laughs> and so like, so like, I'd walk around. They'd be like, "What's up with your roommate?" So my roommate was like, "Hey, so and so asked about you," and I'm like, "Hook it up." And uh, and so we'd like date, but like, n- I don't know what it is about young dudes. Y'all can't kiss and stop looking up YouTube videos to learn how to kiss. Like fucking, <laughs> fucking kiss. Learn how to kiss. And so like. So I'm like going over and over, like going through, going through his crew, uh, and all of them like can't kiss. None of them can kiss, and I'm just like, man, Lewis. And I'm telling him, and I'm like, Lewis, your fucking bitch ass friends can't kiss. And he's, just, and he's like, so what? And I'm like, what do you mean, so what? If they can't kiss, they ain't eating pussy, and I know that. So I'm like, fuck that. And so, and he finds it hilarious. I think it's crazy there's a whole crew of people who don't know how to kiss, though. Yeah, no, there's, yeah. A, whole, there's a whole city of motherfuckers <laughs> that don't know how to kiss. Let's be real. Like, they're just like, I'm going to stick my dick in it. It's horrible. <laughs> um, so, so, he tells me, so then my roommate, like, I get to probably, like, the, the second to last dude in his crew or whatever, and he's just like, and I'm just like, I'm, uh, your friends are weak. And then he's like, whatever. And he's like, but look. Once you go through them, dude, don't fucking fuck with Jimmy, right? Don't fuck uh-huh. with Jimmy. And Jimmy was like his like longtime fucking friend for like ever, like another little Jewish boy. And I was just like, Jimmy, I don't give a fuck about Jimmy. Jimmy ain't even my type, little fucking pirate looking bitch. Like I was just like, because <laughs> he did, because he had like this grungy, like he still was in like Pearl Jam, like fucking grunge, like uh-huh. wore flannels, long ass hair. He was like grimy, and like. I'm, I'm like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about Lewis. Oh. I ain't fucking Jimmy. I ain't fucking with Jimmy. But then Jimmy would come over all the fucking time and bring like a 30 of PBR and smoke some weed and they'd watch like <laughs> graffiti videos like Beat Street and Gravitas and like all these fucking graffiti videos. And then my bitch ass roommate would like get too drunk and fall asleep and then leave me there with Jimmy. And so like... I, I can put, so, I can see what yeah I know where it's going a little so bit. Like, so like so so yeah. after a while like uh-huh. it's like two three times he does this shit and like now I'm like I f- I fuck around with Jimmy and we start making out and this bitch <laughs> and like, we start making out and this bitch can kiss y'all. He's like in it and I'm like moist and he's like the shit. <laughs> so like and so while the first time we kiss I put my hand like on his lap. And, like, I'm like, oh, you got the remote on your fucking lap. No, it's his dick. Like, it's his fucking dick. <laughs> and, I'm like, and it totally, like, changed my mind. Yeah, you could like, feel the buttons and everything. That's dude, crazy. it did. Yeah. And then I'm like, it totally changed my mind about, like, A, white dudes, B, Jewish dudes, <laughs> and, like, C, grungy dudes. Like, I was like, you never know. It's under the fucking baggy-ass pants. So, like, so now, but we after we, like, Fuck, right? Uh, I was like, dude, Lewis can't know about this. And so we keep it a secret for like six months. And then it gets cold outside. And so we can't sneak around like fucking like gangways or parks and shit because it's not nice outside anymore. By this time, my, my bum ass roommate got a job. So like we are now like, like texted. Like he lived not too far away. So I'd be like, Lewis is at work. Come on. And he'd be like, 
done. And so, like, because they're young and they ain't fucking nobody else. So he's just like, <laughs> so seven, eight months in, we're in, like, the room. We're in my room. And we're going at it. And my phone rings because, like, remember, I'm still a mom. And, like, it could be my son calling or whatever. So I look at my phone. And I'm like, ooh, hold on, Jimmy. I was like, it was like, hold on, Jimmy, hold on, hold on, Jimmy. And like I, and like I, I'm like, I'm like, hello. And he's like, uh, it's my roommate. Like, oh, I fucking hate this job. I'm coming home right now. And I'm like, and he's, and I'm like, shit, right? So I'm like, okay, I'll be here. Click. And then I'm just like, sorry, dude. Like, fucking Louis is coming home. And then he like, like, plops out, right? He like gets out <laughs> and then uh and then he like sits on the bed looking like like charlie brown and shit like man i didn't even get my nuts so i'm like i'm a giver so i was like look 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 i'll hook you up i will hook you up you get me later and he's like bet so like pull the condom off and i'm just like you know i'm going in like, and about the fifth like my ears start getting itchy and like my head, like it feels like 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 ants inside my brain. What? In my head, I'm like, stupid bitch, you got a latex allergy. Like I have, yeah. So like, I'm going into anaphylactic shock, right? Like, oh. and what's funny is that like my throat's closing, so I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm like gagging, and this bitch, Jimmy Conda, this is my nickname for him. Like Jimmy Conda <laughs> is all like, yeah, because he thinks he's like choking me. Like, like I ain't deep throat his ass before, but like he's just like, yeah, I got him. And then, and then I like, I like pop the dick out of my mouth, like poop. And then I was like, I gotta go. I'm fucking dying. And I leave. Thank God my sister lived downstairs. And I like knock on her door, like, and then she opens the door and like I'm beat fucking red. My everything is red. My hands are fucking beat red. And she's like, what's going on? And I'm like. And I'm like squeaking, and I know she's got a dry erase board. And like, I'm writing on the board, and my sister reads, like, sucking dick, dying, call 911. And this bitch looks at it, looks at me, gets her phone, and was like, <laughs> and she calls 911. And, uh, and she's like, Yes, uh, my sister's going into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> you need to send an ambulance. It's probably the quickest an ambulance ever got to fucking Logan Square back then. Now, you know. And they get there and they shoot me with epinephrine. And it's like this cool sensation, like a York peppermint patty. Like, whoo, it's like, feel the sensation. And I'm like, yes. And then I'm like, oh, shit, Jimmy. So I run upstairs and I'm like, I'm like, you know, that was probably a sign that we oh. shouldn't like fuck around. He's like, yeah, you're probably right. So we like fuck around ten more times, and then it was just like, <laughs> and then it was done, right? I tell that story because like I know, being the bitch that I am, that I'm probably gonna go out like blaze of glory. Like I'm like, meh, 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 probably, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but I'm that I'm that bitch. But I know that when I die, it is not going to be a dick that takes me out. <laughs> Part two of the final Chicago It's All True show comes out next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to It's All True in iTunes and leave a review. Patreon is a platform that helps make art better. And if you enjoyed the show and you'd like to be even more help, please visit the It's All True Patreon page. For more info on this episode's guests, follow Chris Traney on Twitter at Chris Traney, Lily B at Queen Lily B, and Rick Wilson at Rick Wilson. 
Special thanks to Ray Teresi for recording the show, Rob Schulte for recording my voice at this very moment, and Freddie Nunez for creating our kick-ass theme song. My Twitter handle is TimBarnes451, and you can follow the show at All True Podcast. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you. <laughs>